Well, in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome each and every one to our service of worship and celebration on this beautiful Mother's Day Sunday. So mothers, please know that it's Mother's Day. We are really glad you're here with us, and we are very thankful for mothers in our lives and those who have been like mothers to us. We want to welcome everyone who is visiting with us today. And if you haven't been here and haven't filled out one of those uh, welcome cards that are in the pew, we would really encourage you to do that. And then after the service in the cafe, you can just drop it off at the Welcome Center. And we just want to have a record of your visit here with us today. But please know that it is very, very special to us that you have taken the time to join us with, in worship here. And uh, we also, one other announcement I just want to make at this time is, as you heard last Sunday, we are in great need of some volunteers in a couple of areas, right? The nursery is exploding, apparently, and uh, so we need to have some nursery helpers. Actually, we just need a few more people to help out there, and I know Alicia and Kate are working hard at it, but if you could help out on the occasional Sunday with, uh, with the nursery, you just talk to Alicia Flat or Kate Lutley, and, uh, and then you can uh, uh, get signed up and help there. Also... Another area that we need some volunteers is in our youth work on Wednesday night. Uh, we desperately do need some more bodies uh, there to be with the, the youth. Uh, we're having a number of, of new youth coming out, as well as uh, if everybody comes, uh, we might be short, actually, one or two leaders. So if you're able to, uh, talk to Peter Schultz about that, okay? I'm going to let Paul bring an announcement now. Good morning. John Shelby Spong, S-P-O-N-G. Probably not a household name to most of you. He was the Episcopalian or Anglican Bishop of Newark, New Jersey, until his death at the age of 90 in 2021. He was a very controversial figure who had a great deal of influence on the Episcopalian and other denominations in Western society. He was known for his quotes, and one of those quotes was this, I treasure the Bible, I live it, and work on it all the time, but it is not the word of God. It is a tribal story of a particular people, and the best thing about it, that story keeps on growing and keeps on evolving. How would you respond to something like that? Gray Matters Apologetics Ministry here at Stanley Park Baptist Church seeks to equip our people and those in other churches who want to join us in responding to issues as raised by Bishop Spong. Therefore, if interested, tomorrow night here at the church at 7 o'clock sharp, Mark Sabolsky will be addressing this issue, and his talk is entitled Addressing or Answering Progressive TikTok Pastors. And if you want to know more about that, he said he'd be here today. <laughs> so if he's here, you can ask him what, a little bit more about what that means. Hopefully we'll see you tomorrow night. Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks Paul. 
Also, just a reminder that before the service, uh, for running from about quarter after nine till quarter to 10, we do have a pre-service prayer group that meets. We're meeting in my office right now, just over in that part of the building, and you'd be welcome to join us on a come-as-you-can basis. And uh, then finally, just a reminder, we have the SPBC Cafe after the service this morning over in the gym, directly across there. You know what? Take the time, go over, meet somebody, perhaps talk to somebody you haven't talked to, or maybe meet somebody you haven't met before, or just have a good time of fellowship with everybody over a cup of coffee. Uh, I'm going to turn the service over now to Ken. Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. It's great to see you today. Um, I just really want to say something, and and I, I hope we all understand is, you're you're with us today for a reason there's a there's a purpose there's a reason that you're here with the people of stanley park baptist this morning and um it could be one of many things i mean it could be someone in the hall encouraging you or challenging you Um, it could be a verse of scripture it could be a song it could be the message that gary's got for us today Um, but it's no accident um, that you're here today there's there's a reason, and, and when you start to see how everything's all connected, it's, um, it's pretty amazing to just know that, um, that our God is, has a plan, and it's bigger than any one of us. He's, he's, he's chosen us, right? It's, it's, he, before we even knew ourselves, that God was, was planning our lives and our relationships with each other. And um, I just hope and I pray that, um, that you're able to see that today. And I hope you're able to accept that, and I hope that the Lord really does um, just do something pretty great in your life today. Uh, so as we prepare for today, will you please join with me as we pray? Father God, we do thank you for today, and we thank you for the gift that it is. And Lord, we thank you for your people here. Um, God, it's, it's pretty amazing to be together, um, just meeting and, and learning and growing and challenging and God, we know that this week um, had had its share of, of trials, of joys. God, there's things that are trying to distract us. God, things that are trying to um, <laughs> discredit you and discredit all that you're doing in our lives. But God, it's not true. God, you just can't argue. You can't intellectualize away a changed life. So God, may you be stirring our hearts and our minds God, help us to know that no matter what happens, that we can put our hope and our trust in you. That God, even if it's a rough patch right now, that God, you are faithful and you are just. And that God, no matter what happens, that God, we can put that trust in you. So Lord, today, we just pray that we wouldn't just be people warming pews, but God, that we would be your church, living and active and ready to do your will today. So stir us up. Get us ready for what you have in store. And we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're able, we'll invite you now to stand with us as we sing.
going to do two things. I am going to uh, pray for our kids as we send them off to class, and I'm also going to dedicate our offering uh, to the Lord. So please join me again as we pray. Father God, we thank you for the amazing gift of these kids, that each and every one is so, so special to you. That God, you said, let the little children come to me, and Lord, they, they sat with Jesus and he took time with them and, and cared for them. God, help us to follow that example. Lord, we know that um, there's a lot um, that can distract them, um, so much more than even what we grew up with. Lord, there's, there's trials and temptations to the left and to the right. And God, we just pray that you would protect them, that God, you would keep them, that God, you would just help them to know the truth and hold on tight to that. So, Lord, today as they're in their classes, we pray that you would help them just to be able to receive what you have for them and, God, for their leaders, that you would um, give them wisdom and peace and a whole lot of patience as they lead. And, too, Lord, we want to commit this offering uh, to you. Um, God, whether it feels like much or little, God, we thank you for the blessings that we probably don't even recognize, God. Lord, you've given us clothes on our back. You've given us a church family, and we just thank you for that. And God, when we, when we give, we just pray that we would be givers in worship, that God, as, as we give, that God, we will give fully of ourselves, just in eager anticipation of what you will do. So God, please, please take this, uh, multiply it, and use it for your kingdom here, in Kitchener, in Canada, and throughout the world. And we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, kids, I think your leaders are at the back. Head on out. Great singing today.
in the quietness of what I would call a very sacred moment, I would invite you to join with me in prayer. And as we bow before God in the silence of these next few moments, I would encourage you to think about the words that we just sang. And may they be the prayer of your heart this morning. Take my life. Let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my will and make it thine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for thee, all for thee. In the quietness and the beauty of this sacred moment, O God, we would once again consecrate ourselves to you, commit our ways, our thoughts, our lives to you, and ask that you would have your way with us. So, Lord, once again, we would ask that you would teach us and guide us, fill us, use us in any way that you desire. For you, O God, are not only the almighty creator and sovereign God of the universe, you are our loving Heavenly Father, and you are good, you are kind, you are faithful in every way, your steadfast love never ceasing, your mercies never ending. Indeed, they are new every morning, for so great is your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, our God. And now in this moment of time, as your children, we gather around your throne, O God, lifting our worship, our praise, and our adoration to you as we gladly proclaim that you are the almighty creator, sovereign God of the entire universe. And in this beautiful season of spring, as nature and all creation awakens around us and, and attests to the beauty of your handiwork, our hearts are made glad as we rejoice in the salvation you have provided through your Son, the one who left the splendors of heaven to live a human life here on earth, reminding us that he lived as one of us, sharing the, the life of a home and family in Nazareth. On this Mother's Day Sunday, we specifically thank you for the gift of family, for the blessing of, of, of our mothers and the blessings they have been to many of us, especially for those godly mothers who have set examples before us. We thank you for the love of a mother's heart and for the many sacrifices so many of them have made for their own children. Thank you for those who have faith in you, their love, their trust, and especially for those moments when they believed in us even when others haven't. And because we lived in a sin-filled world, we also thank you for raising up those who have been like mothers to us when our owns just could not be there for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you for our homes. Father, if the truth be told, we have all fallen short of your righteousness and of your glory. 
And there are many times that we have offended you and sinned against you. So, Father, we come confessing that too often we are guilty of wallowing in sin and ungodliness. Forgive us, O God. And though we should know better, show us once more those things that have no place in our lives and remind us afresh of the things that you long for us to do, and yet we don't do them. And forgive us for doing those things we shouldn't. For ours are the sins that we have committed against you. Forgive us, O God. Cleanse us. Restore to us the joy and the peace of your salvation. Indeed, O God, we come to you as a needy people. All of us have needs that only you can fill. Whether we're seated in this room or joining in online, we come as those who need to know the touch of your hand upon us afresh. So we pray for all who come before you with needs. Comfort us, strengthen us, help us in whatever our need may be, whether it be physical or mental, emotional, spiritual. Meet us wherever we are at in our walk through this life with you. And may we know the presence of your kindness as you meet the needs that we have. We especially pray for those who need a healing touch today. We pray for Alice and that you would strengthen her from the pneumonia that covered her lungs and, and from the cancer treatments that she's been enduring. We ask your healing hand to be on Nancy as she continues her battle with cancer. And we praise you for, for taking Pauline through the surgeries that she has endured and ask that you would continue to bring healing to her body. We pray for the many others who are dealing with health issues and needing your healing hand to be upon them. And so we pray for Janice, for Ken, for Nancy and Harvey, for Will's father, Susan's brother, for Lee's, for Matthew, for many other who are quietly just dealing with issues that we don't even know about. May you prove yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. We pray for those who are struggling with the issues of aging and those who find themselves needing more help than they're used to, not able to do for themselves the things that they once did. And so we remember Doreen and Stan and Ruth and Freeman, Esther, Elaine, Dale, Dorothy, others who are just struggling with bodies that just don't do what they were designed to do. And we pray for those waiting to get into places where they can receive more help. So we remember Murray and Belinda and others who are needing a placement. And we pray that in each situation, they would know your presence, your help, and just the amazing joy that only you can give. We especially want to pray with the, for those who are dealing with grief. And so we pray for, for Ryan and Jessica and their extended family as they get used to an empty place in their family circle. As, Gladys, as Grandma Gladys has been called home and what a party they had. We also pray for those who are in the process of losing someone they love. We pray for Brian and Kate as they wait Oma's home going even as, they, as we pray for Brad and Carolyn, as Carolyn's grandmother awaits your call. Indeed, we pray for all who are in palliative care situations, and, and we ask for your presence and your peace and your comfort would be evident to all 
especially those who love and trust you. We pray for those who need work. We pray for those who are looking for places to live for their families. We pray for all the needs that your children have right here in this family, in this congregation, and throughout the city and around the world. Be the God who is Jehovah Jireh, the God who supplies everything. And now, dear Lord, as we gather around your word, as your spirit leads us into an understanding of the truth you have for us to know today, work in our hearts, in our minds, and accomplish everything that you have sent your word out to do. We pray these things in Jesus' strong and most powerful name, your Son, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers here today. Um, I'm not going to be telling a, a story about mothers today. Um, you're going to be hearing a sermon about a martyr today. Uh, so just to just so that we know what to expect here. Um, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Acts. Chapter 7, and uh, just hold it open there. Um, I'm not sure what the page number is in your pew Bibles there, but um, we're going to be going through this passage today, reading it specifically. Um, <clears throat> as you're flipping there, uh, I just want to ask you a question. How well do you know your Old Testament? Old Testament trivia here for the next few minutes. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you a few uh, questions here. See if, if you know the answer. If you know it, shout it out, okay? Who is the smartest man in the Bible? And by the way, these are jokes. <laughs> Who is the smartest man in the Bible? Oh. No, Abraham, because he knew a lot. <laughs> this is going to be rough. I got a lot of these. Uh, what kind of man was Boaz before he got married? Single. Ruthless. Who said it? Someone knew that one. There it is. Nice. What kind of pork did people eat in the Old Testament? Abraham. When was the first tennis match in the Bible? When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. I, I need Mark on the drums here to give me a couple of... Uh, how did Joseph make his coffee? He brewed it. Oh, this, this isn't even fun anymore, is it? It's like... <laughs> All right, a couple more. Um, which book of the major prophets is the simplest to understand? Ezekiel. What do you call a prophet who's also a chef? Habakkuk. And this is my favorite one, okay? We'll end with this one. How did Jacob cheer on his grandson? Judah Manasseh. Oh, man. I'm sorry, guys. Judah Manasseh. You're the man. You're the Manasseh. 
No. Okay. All right. Well, I ask that because we come to a passage today. Uh, it's, it's a sermon unlike any other in Scripture. And it's difficult as a pastor approaching a sermon in Scripture. Because there's this tendency that we have to re-preach the sermon. To almost, okay, we, we got to take this and, and sort of make something special of it. But that's not what I'm going to do today. We come to this passage in, in Acts 7 where Stephen speaks before the Sanhedrin. <clears throat> but as we will see, this is much more than a speech. It is an Old Testament survey. And beyond that, it is the most powerful sermon I believe, one of the most powerful sermons we have in the book of Acts. Last week, we met Stephen, the first of the seven men chosen to care for the neglected widows in the growing church in Acts chapter 6. And as you'll recall, we were talking about his Christ-likeness because Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ. And that's the idea. That's something we need to consider. If we are full of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, working in us, leading us into the truth, conforming us into the image of Christ, that is what people should see. They should see increasingly in us someone who is like Jesus. Amen? Well, this week we are looking at Acts chapter 7. Last week we talked about Stephen's Christ-like manner and, and his, he, he, he had a Christ-like ministry. And we saw a couple aspects of his ministry last week. We, we talked about the fact, we've seen that he was a, a deacon, even though Luke doesn't use that term deacon, he served the widows. He served in humility. And again, the criteria for those seven that they chose were that they be full of the spirit and wisdom. And he was both of those things. So he had this ministry of service, but we also saw last week that he had a wonder-working ministry. God gave him the ability to do miracles. We don't know exactly what they were, but we know that they upset some people, specifically those in the synagogue of the freedmen. This, this gathering of believers from a number of different places, a couple from North Africa, who disputed with Stephen. We don't know exactly the content of their dispute, but we know that these men were upset with Stephen and they were frustrated because they could not overcome his wisdom. That they, they, couldn't, they couldn't beat him in a debate. Why? Because he had the wisdom of the Lord and was full of the Holy Spirit. And so, this week we look at chapter 7, where his Christ-like ministry and his Christ-like manner come together in this amazing Christ-centered message, which is Stephen's defense, his speech before the Supreme Court of Israel, the Sanhedrin. Led, by the way, by Caiaphas, the same high priest who presided at the trial and condemnation of Jesus just months earlier and pronounced Jesus guilty of blasphemy. Actually, we looked at that passage last week. It's the same charge that these false witnesses bring against Stephen. Blasphemy. Blasphemy against God. Actually, we have this on a slide here. Blasphemy against God. Blasphemy against Moses. 
Blasphemy against the temple, this holy place, and blasphemy against the law. And they said, we have heard Stephen saying that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. So Stephen has been falsely charged with the same accusation, the same charge of blasphemy as that of Christ. So we see another aspect of his ministry here in this chapter, in chapter 7, preaching. Preaching. Stephen was not only a servant of the church, not only did he perform these miraculous signs and wonders, he was a powerful preacher and evangelist. And what we have here before us is his only sermon recorded in Scripture, which would prove to be his last. Stephen stands before a a firing squad of sorts in the Sanhedrin, who, of course, were the fiercest enemies of Christ in the church. And the high priest Caiaphas asks him this question, are these charges true? Simple question, right? You think, yes or no? The answer, by the way, was no. Although the charges are true of the Sanhedrin. And that's what Stephen does. Because Stephen, Stephen is a witness of Jesus Christ. Stephen, probably a few months earlier, we don't know the exact timeline, Stephen was saved by the grace of God. He heard the gospel and he believed. He repented and now he is following Jesus full of his Holy Spirit. And so he takes the stand. And in doing that, even though he's the accused, he turns the tables and accuses them, points out through this survey of the Old Testament that they, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel, are in fact the ones who are guilty of blasphemy, specifically blasphemy and rejecting the Messiah that they should have recognized and seen. So, Stephen's response to that simple question, I believe, is one of the most important and potent sermons we have in the book of Acts. You see, Stephen knows the stakes here. He knows what happened to Jesus. He knows full well that these false accusations will probably result in his execution. That was the punishment for blasphemy, death. And yet, what does Stephen do? He doesn't cry for mercy. He doesn't try to reverse the charges. His main concern is not that he be exonerated, but that Christ Jesus be exalted, the righteous one. And how does he do that? Well, I'll tell you how he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it with philosophy. He doesn't do it with, with arguments from science or, or rational arguments, but with Scripture. Scripture, which for Stephen, by the way, was the Old Testament, right? There, there was no New Testament. It was the Old Testament, and Stephen knew his Old Testament extremely well. In fact, Stephen knows his Old Testament better than the experts in the Old Testament in the Sanhedrin that day, the priests and the experts of the law. How's that possible? Now, keep in mind, Stephen would have only been a believer for just probably a few months. So how had he come to this incredible knowledge of the Old Testament? Well, partly because he was a Jew, a devout Jew. And so he would have been raised according to Scripture, taught to love and respect God, to follow the teaching of the law and the customs of Moses, and the worship of God in the temple. 
Notice what he's accused of. Blasphemy against all of those things, against everything that Jews held dear, everything sacred to Judaism. They're charging him with blasphemy for that, speaking against it. Here's the thing. All the members of the Sanhedrin would have been raised this way and for sure would have had superior education to that of Stephen. So what was it that made his knowledge so great? It wasn't his education. It was inspiration. Stephen knew the word of God better than any of the experts in the Sanhedrin because he personally knew and had been saved by the God of the word through faith in Jesus Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, the very one who authored, inspired, breathed the word. The spirit of Jesus, the living word. Jesus promised this in John 16. When he, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Here's what we read two chapters earlier. Jesus said, but the counselor or advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Wow. And my friends, the Holy Spirit had revealed and taught the truth of the Old Testament that that all of the law and the prophets were pointing to and ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit had revealed to Stephen. He now for the first time, understood the Old Testament by the revelation that the Holy Spirit gave him. It all pointed to Jesus. Let me ask you this. What does the Holy Spirit teach? He teaches the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit's manual is the Word of God. I've said it before, and I'm probably going to say it again. The Holy Spirit leads, guides, teaches, and travels exclusively along the tracks of truth, which are God's word. If you think the Holy Spirit is saying something and it doesn't line up with what he has already spoken in Scripture, it's not of God. And so in response to these allegations of blasphemy, Stephen, filled and led by the Holy Spirit, turns to Scripture and gives the Sanhedrin a history lesson like they've never had before. An Old Testament survey that that turns the tables on them. And through this, he demonstrates Israel's history that it was one of disobedience and rejection of God and his plans, which the leaders in the Sanhedrin had apparently forgotten. And we know that old adage, those who don't know or forget their history are doomed to repeat it. Just as the Israelite forefathers, the patriarchs, the leaders of Israel rejected God's chosen leaders, specifically Joseph and Moses, as Stephen points out, whom God had anointed to redeem his people, these men, the current leadership in the Sanhedrin, are now guilty of rejecting God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. And to refute the charge of blasphemy against the temple... Stephen uses Old Testament history to prove that the revelation of God's glory did not depend on the promised land or on the temple. He points out that God appeared to to Abraham long before he ever entered the promised land. He appeared to Moses long before there ever was a temple out in the wilderness. The temple, by the way, which the Jews had made an idol of. They turned worship at the temple into worship of the temple. So through scripture, Stephen shows that God's presence wasn't confined to the temple. 
into no building built by man. Nothing like that can contain the presence of God. That's his point. God is everywhere. He cannot be contained. He not only dwells with, but within his people, wherever they may be. And my friends, this day in the Sanhedrin, God is there because his Holy Spirit fills Stephen and inspires this amazing sermon. Now, I mentioned as a preacher, it's a challenge when we come to a sermon in Scripture. Uh, And it's been a challenge approaching this. Um, I'm going to just quote to you from the late great theologian and author A.W. Tozer. Sorry, I'm going to jump ahead here. Here's what Tozer said. Real faith springs not out of sermons, but out of the Word of God, and out of sermons only so far as they are of the Word of God. So let us seek to know God in the Word. I'm going to jump in. There's a a section I left out. It's a little cutting, but I'm going to read it to you. He said this, let's be plain Christians. Let's open our Bibles, spread it out on the chair and meditate on it like the saints of old. It will open itself to us and the spirit of God will come and brood over it. Put away questions and answers and the filling in of blank lines about Moses. Put all of that away and take a Bible, open it and get on your, your knees and say, Father, here I am. Begin to teach me. He will begin to teach you, and he will teach you about himself, and about Jesus, and about God, and about the word, and about life, and death, and heaven, and hell, and about his own presence. It is in the word that we find the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit wrote this book, wrote Tozer. He inspired it, and he will be revealed in its pages. Um, I've fallen into the trap like probably many other preachers, of approaching God's word sometimes as if it needs my help. It needs clever packaging. It needs uh, detailed explanations, maybe funny illustration here or there, intellectual interpretation. God's word doesn't need me to help bring it to life. God's word is more alive and active than we know. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So today, my friends, it's the conviction of my heart not to deliver a message based on a message in God's word, but simply to read the message of God's word and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and teaching us through it, to allow God's word to judge our thoughts and attitudes accordingly. I don't want you to settle today for a sermon about Stephen's sermon when we have Stephen's sermon itself. Given the length of this sermon, and it's long, it's the longest one we have in the book of Acts, I certainly understand why many pastors uh, refrain from reading the whole thing. However, I believe there is no better way to use our time than together to read the Word of God. Paul commands Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.13. Uh, And that's what I want us to do today. With the time we have left, you're going to help me preach because we have Stephen's manuscript here. If you are able, this is going to take us a few minutes, so I understand if you cannot stand the whole time, uh, you can remain seated. But if you are able, I would invite you to stand as together we read this sermon in Acts chapter 7. Uh, So here's, before you stand, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the first slide. We're just going to go back and forth. 
And then I'm going to ask you in unison to read the next slide, and then I'll pick up on the third one. I think I've got most of the longer slides, so uh, there's a few words. Do your best with them. We're, we're reading from the NIV 84 version today. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit different, but I'm excited about it because we are here to hear from God through his word. I pray that's why you're here today. And that's what we're going to do as we read it together. So if you can, please stand. And I will begin with this slide, beginning at verse 1. And you can follow along. This is the same text you have in the Bibles and the pews. Those are the NIV 84. So you can follow along there as well. So I will read this slide. When we switch slides, you together in unison will read that slide and so forth. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and will worship me in this place. Your turn. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him. Excellent. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard this, there was gr- that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful. 
But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses who they have rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert when the angel spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who go before us. As for the fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made a fight in the form of a cow. They brought sacrifices to him and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of, of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech and the star of your God, Rephan, the, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he has seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now, 
you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much for participating in that today. Um, This is such an important and powerful sermon. I, I mentioned that, and we see in the reaction to it, and we're going to be looking at that next week, along with some of the details from this message uh, as we see what happens next. But here's what we read, the next verse. When they heard this, the, the Sanhedrin, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Gnashed their teeth at him. The idea of like, like biting off his head. They were so... <coughs> upset by this. Um, Why? Because of the soul convicting power of God's word. God's word, as we said, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The heart's response to the judgment of God's word is is usually one of two things. Our hearts are either hardened and they lash out when they're judged by God's word, lash out in anger, or they're softened, they're cut And they turn and bow down in submission to God. This is one of the most powerful sermons in Scripture because through it, Jesus' promise in Acts 1.8 is fulfilled. Oh, I don't have it. But Acts 1.8, we know this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They did not understand what witness meant at that point, the disciples. They heard that. Witnesses, someone who gives a defense, stands up, represents, speaks for Jesus. That Greek word martyrians, where we get our English word martyr. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit empowers Stephen to do through the preaching of God's word, through this sermon as he will give his life in witness to Jesus Christ. Stephen is the first one in a long, long, long line of Christian martyrs that Jesus describes, by the way, in Luke 21. Jesus said this, before all of this, talking about the coming of the end of the age, they will seize you. They will persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And then he says this, this will result in your being witnesses to them. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. You've heard that saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel. As a result of this sermon, we're going to see next week, Stephen is stoned to death, which ignites widespread persecution of the church. It drives believers out of Jerusalem, which leads to the widespread proclamation of the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and beyond that to the ends of the earth. That continues today. Stephen's sermon, my friends, is the spark that sets off the explosion of the proclamation of the gospel worldwide. By the way, his sermon also scattered seed among 
and on some very important soil. Mark 4, Jesus gives that, that parable, the, the sower, right? Sowing the seed, the seed of the gospel, the seed of truth. To be sure, most of the ground on which Stephen scattered the seed of the gospel that day was dry, rocky, dusty, dead, clay-ridden ground. The hearts of the Sanhedrin so hard to the truth. But there was a small patch of soil mixed in among those jagged, rocky hearts. The soil of Saul's soul. By the way, Saul, we're going to see him in this passage next week. He stands, he watches this whole thing happen. He hears Stephen's message. Isaiah 55:11 says that the word of God accomplishes everything that it is set out to do. It never returns void. God's word was at work that day. It, it was a few months before Saul has that radical conversion experience on the road to Damascus, but he heard the truth. In fact, in one of his later sermons, he quotes Stephen. (laughs) So we know he heard it. The word of God never comes back void. It was through Saul, who became Paul, that the rest of the New Testament, the New Testament, a lot of big chunk of it is written. It was important that he be there to hear God's word being preached that day. Stephen's witness had a a huge impact on him, I believe. We will find out when we are... (laughs) with them in glory and able to ask them all the questions for ourselves. But may this be an encouragement to us, my friends, that even when we think we're hitting a brick wall in our witness to those hard people in our lives who seem hostile, rest assured that the word of God does not come back void. Indeed, it is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating, dividing soul, spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart which should not only encourage and embolden us in our witness, but encourage us in the word and our study of the word of God. Stephen's knowledge of scripture and his reliance on the Holy Spirit should inspire us to immerse ourselves in this amazing gift that God has given us, his word written down for us. Um, So, a little different today. I'm not gonna start breaking apart this passage now. Uh, we will make some reference to it next week as we get into the, the last installment in this Stephen series where we will see what happens next as Stephen is stoned as he gives his life for the cause of Christ. But uh, today, I just pray that we will allow God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work, the work that only he can do, cutting to our hearts, judging our thoughts and attitudes, conforming us more to the image of Christ. May we be faithful in our witness and true to God's word. I'm going to pray now. Let's join our hearts together. Oh, heavenly Father, God of truth, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through Christ Jesus, the living word, and the fulfillment and revelation of your written word to us in the scriptures. Lord, thank you for the precepts, promises, directions, and sermons we have in your word. In it, Father, we we learn more of Christ. And I pray that we would be enabled to retain his truth and that you give us grace to follow, to obey what your word says. By the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to explore 
and understand all the truth of your word, to cherish it in our hearts, embrace it with the strength you give us. May it take deep root in us and be ripened and harvested to our joy and for your glory. Help us to gain profit by what we read, Lord, as treasure beyond all treasure, a fountain which can replenish a dry heart. It's waters drawn by your Holy Spirit and flowing through us like a river. Enable us to distill from the pages of your word faithful prayer that grasps the arm of your omnipotence, achieves wonders, obtains blessings, and draws down streams of mercy. From it, show us where and how our words and actions have been unfaithful to you, harmful to those around us, empty of grace, and dishonoring to our calling. And then, Lord, I pray you write your word upon our hearts. Inscribe it on our lips so that we would be your faithful witnesses speaking the truth in love and sharing the reason for our hope in Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, may you receive all the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we uh, respond, if you're able, we'd ask that you stand with us as we sing.
Oh, it's one of my favorites, uh, and can it be. Praise the Lord for our salvation in Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for helping preach the word today. I appreciated that. We look forward to next week. We look forward to this week and what God has in store for us. Now receive the Lord's blessing from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Lord bless you.